Good morning, brothers and sisters. We extend a warm welcome to everyone who has joined us in church this morning for the worship of our triune God. We also extend a special welcome to all the visitors who have joined us this morning here in church or remotely via the live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and may God be praised and glorified by our worship. Consistory has the following announcements. Brother and sister Duncan and Anique Old, along with their daughters Annalise and Etienne Old, have arrived with attestations from the Free Reform Church of Melville. We welcome this family into our congregation. And the congregation is reminded of the congregational meeting to be held, the Lord willing, tomorrow evening here in this church building, commencing at 7.30 with coffee available from 7 o'clock. And the purpose of this meeting is to vote on the calling of a minister. And there will be a coffee social after this morning's service to welcome Reverend Paul and Mrs Jane Archibald to our congregation. And I would like to take the opportunity to thank the Archibalds for coming to our congregation for the next three months and we look forward to getting to know you better as a congregation. And this morning the worship service will be led by Reverend Archibald. And before we commence the worship service, let us sing together hymn seven, all verses.
Congregation, would you please rise and lift up your hearts unto the Lord. As we confess first our dependence upon the Lord with the words of Psalm 124 verse 8, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. And we hear also his greeting with these words, grace be unto you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. This uh, call to worship should be an occasion for joy and gladness for God's people. And we express that by singing Psalm 122, stanzas 1 to 3. Number 122, stanzas 1 to 3.
summary of God's law from Exodus chapter 20. And of course, these commandments are so important in the covenant that sometimes uh, scripture even refers to the Ten Commandments as the covenant. After we have heard this reading from Exodus 20, we'll sing from Psalm 32, stanzas 1 to 3, which reminds us of the vital importance of confessing our sins. And the law, of course, reminds us of our sins. But also in that psalm, we will sing of the blessedness of having our sins forgiven for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. But uh, first, we hear these words from Exodus 20, the Ten Commandments. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and the fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labour and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honour your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbour, you shall not covet your neighbour's house, you shall not covet your neighbour's wife, or his male servant, or his female servant, or his ox, or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbour's.
also with through the gracious operation of your spirit, that we may mature in that faith as the years go by. Will you fill us also with the zeal to proclaim your excellencies to others? We thank you that we can encourage each other in that too. Father, as we consider this desire that we have to proclaim your name, will you also help us to consider the witness of our lives, that we may adorn the gospel in that way rather than act as if to hinder the cause of the gospel. Father, will you help us to give that witness to the power of the gospel to change lives, to bring about the pursuit of holiness, to bring about the unity that Christ creates between those who are in him. We pray that we may reflect that also as a congregation, rather than presenting ourselves as divided or as bickering as many congregations do at times. Father, in all of these ways, we are your servants and we pray that you would help us to serve you for your glory. And to that end, we also ask that you would enable us to attend carefully to the reading and the preaching of your word. Not only that we may hear with our ears, but that we may receive inwardly and meditate on what we hear and remember what we hear and that you would grant that we may apply it also to our lives once again to your glory. Father, will you hear us and accept these prayers, for we offer them to you in this, as part of this service of worship. In the name of and in the merits of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. We um, are going to read now the two readings, first of all from Revelation chapter 4. Revelation 4, verses 1 to 11. Part of John's vision of the throne in heaven. After this, I looked, and behold, a door standing open in heaven. And the first voice, which I heard speaking to me like a trumpet, said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne stood in heaven, with one seated on the throne. And he who sat there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian, and around the throne was a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and seated on the thrones were twenty-four elders, clothed in white garments, with golden crowns on their heads. From the throne came flashes of lightning, and rumblings and peals of thunder. And before the throne were burning seven torches of fire, which are the seven spirits of God. And before the throne there was, as it were, a sea of glass like crystal. And around the throne, on each side of the throne, are four living creatures, full of eyes in front and behind. The first living creature like a lion, the second living creature like an ox, the third living creature with the face of a man, and the fourth living creature like an eagle in flight. 
And the four living creatures, each of them with six wings, are full of eyes all around and within. And day and night, they never cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honour and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and were created. And uh, we see in this vision of John's that glimpse into heaven where all creation and all of the church is praising and worshipping God and you will note as part of that praise also giving him thanks. Let us then turn to the psalm of thanksgiving, a psalm of thanksgiving, Psalm 100. I'll read the psalm Five verses, Psalm 100. You will notice the heading there, a psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. And what this psalm calls for is what we just read also in that vision of what goes on in heaven. Send forth, O God of my salvation, your light and truth to be my guide. Psalm 43, stanzas 1 to 3. 43, stanzas 1 to 3.
read the text, the psalm is a fairly short one, so I'll read the text again, and as I read this time, uh, perhaps as we read, uh, you can try to see the, the way that the psalm piles up similar terms, uh, common in the psalms in Hebrew poetry, to pile up terms that are very similar in meaning. Uh, see if you can notice that as we read through it again. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him bless his name. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness to all generations. Covenant people of God, uh, some churches in different places, some reformed churches, begin their services with a call to worship. That is the case in the Reformed Churches of New Zealand. Usually it's a few verses from the Psalms because the Psalms are full of such calls. Some have even suggested that Psalm 100 in particular is an entrance psalm, one that was used for the start of the public worship in the Old Testament. Uh, be that as it may, whether the call to worship is a part of your order of worship or not, such verses should be regarded, nevertheless, as a call from God, as a command from God, that his people should be a worshipping people, a people characterised by the worship of God, as you are and as we also are in New Zealand. Uh, for all of us, though, there is perhaps a danger that we tend to approach worship as a duty that has a beginning and an end after which we can go home and relax and do other things. Something we participate in without reflecting much on what it is we are actually doing when we worship God. A part of that may have a reasonable explanation. It may be that we think that way about worship. We uh, take it as something that we do spontaneously without thinking very much about it because it is as it should be as natural to us as breathing and breathing is something we do without thinking much about it unless of course we have trouble doing it perhaps that is a good reason why we don't think so much about what it is we're doing when we're worshiping but there are other possible explanations for this that are not so good uh, one of those is that we don't think about it because we have begun to take it for granted. And taking the things of God for granted is never a good idea. Or it may be that we have become lazy with it and we don't think about it anymore because we've done that in the past and we can't be bothered sitting down and thinking about things very much. And that also is a danger for the Christian. So it is good for us to consider or to be reminded of what worship actually is. And this psalm, like many others, can help us with that. 
and it can help us to see where thanksgiving fits into that picture of what it is we do when we worship. How it fits in as an aspect of worship. On this day that your churches have selected to focus on our response of thanksgiving. Two points as we do this. First of all, reasons to worship. And secondly, aspects of worship. Reasons and aspects of worship. In the first place, uh, something about the nature of psalms that helps us with this psalm as well. It must be said that biblical poetry is a fine work of art. It is a lot more than that, but it is, among other things, a fine work of art. The use of poetic features such as parallelism, using uh, similar words and phrases to pile up nuances around a particular idea, and clever structures in the poetry that also help to impress the truth upon our minds. For that reason, it is worth paying attention to the structure of this psalm, and as we do so, to gather similar thoughts together. Uh, even if those similar thoughts are spread throughout a psalm, you can pick out the ones that are closely related and gather them together, and that helps you to see the main emphases in the psalm. When we take that approach in this text, we find that there are two groups here that contain, each one of them, three or four parallel worship words. The first group is in verses 1 and 2. Make a joyful noise. Serve with gladness. Come with singing. Related ideas. The second group is in verse 4. Enter with thanksgiving, with praise, give thanks, and bless his name. Again, similar related ideas. Leaving verses 3 and 5 to outline the reasons why we should worship God in the way described with those two groups. At this point, we're considering the reasons for worship. Since the psalm uses a lot of parallel terms, we try to boil down the various words so that we can see what are the basic reasons that this psalm is presenting as to why we worship God. And there are three of them. There are three main ones that we can boil this down to. The first of those reasons is that the Lord himself is God, verse 3. He is absolutely unique. There is no other God. He alone is our creator. Verse 3, there is no other creator. And because the Lord himself is God, he should be treated as such rather than ignored. And especially by those who know that this is so. Those who are his people. We know that we should treat God this way. Treat him as God. How awful it would be if we who are God's people forget what that means and forget to do so. Treat it as such rather than being put on the same level as the creature. And therefore we do to God what we do to no creature. We worship him. In English the word means that we ascribe worth to God. 
Uh, sometimes people put it this way, that worship is worth-ship. Saying to God that he is worth, worthy of our worship. We show that we believe that there is no other being, no created thing, that has the worth that God has. Now, in our culture, we are used to giving special recognition to those who are high in status, authority, power, gifts, achievements, such as royals and prime ministers and presidents, famous scientists, sportsmen and women, popular artists, musicians and actors. But how much more recognition should we give to the God who is infinitely far above all of them, who has a status, a power, an authority, an ability, and achievements that are infinitely greater, and not only infinitely greater, they are uniquely so. And therefore we should reserve not only a greater response of worship to God, as if we give some worship to others, but we just give greater worship to God because he is greater. But more than that, we give a unique response to him because there is no other like him. There is no other God. And that unique response reserved for him alone is worship. Second reason for worship is the kind of God that he is. As seen in his attributes. Attributes, in this theological sense, are personal, defining characteristics. Psalm 100 draws this to our attention by mentioning some, but certainly not all, of God's attributes. For example, the Lord is good, verse 5. He is loving kind, or as the ESV translates it, steadfast in love. And uh, that particular word that lies behind that translation, one of the most important words in the Old Testament, in the original language. Uh, as I say, various translations, steadfast in love, loving kind, loving kind. It includes all of these ideas, the truths that God is loving, kind, merciful and gracious, that he is faithful, that he is loyal. Though, of course, in the psalm, God's faithfulness is also singled out in its own right. Also, God's eternality is implied, since he is loving and faithful forever to all generations. Many people in our society also praise others for their particular attributes. A man's honesty, his integrity, his strength, his agility, his cleverness even sometimes his good looks and such things. People are praised for all sorts of attributes. But once again, God's people ought to be far more eager to praise God for his perfect and infinite and unique attributes. And to do so not just in our worship services, when such praise is organised for us by those leading the services. So it's easy for us to follow along. Follow the bouncing ball because it's organised for us without thinking about what we're doing. But we ought to be eager to do this whenever we read God's word. If we do that at home, whenever we meditate on God's word in private. 
whenever we experience God's kindness and mercy yet again in our personal lives, as well as every element in our worship services. Because it all has to do with God. It all has to do with the Lord Jesus Christ. A third reason for worship, the deeds or works of God. We've already noted that verse 3 draws attention to God's work of creation. It is he who made us and we are his. Now there's a couple of different ways of understanding that statement. Uh, This is certainly something that could be said of man's creation on the sixth day. That he is the God who has made us and we are his. The creation of Adam and then Eve. It is also true though, and it is said in the scripture of the creation of Israel as God's chosen nation. He made Israel his chosen nation and they were his. And it is also true of the church today. Those who are the sheep of his pasture. Uh, interestingly, the Hebrew word, one of the main one that is, words that is used for God creating in Genesis 1 is a word that means to bring something into existence that had no prior existence before. That is what one of those words mean. That's why we talk sometimes about ex nihilo, creation, creation out of nothing. But while the word is nearly always used only of God's creation in the Old Testament, it is also used for God's creation of Israel as his chosen nation. There was not a chosen nation before. In that sense, there was no prior existence, but God made them by his initiative. He created them as such. The fact that we are his sheep implies yet other works of God. Since we are his sheep, that is referring to the fact that he is a shepherd. And it is no accident that in the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ is said to be our great and good shepherd because it is hooking in on such Old Testament verses that already said that God is the shepherd of his people. And in the New Testament, that is said of the Lord Jesus Christ because he also is God. But the point I want to make here is that this truth that God is shepherd implies other works of God. Because a shepherd is one who provides for his sheep. A shepherd is one who guides his sheep. A shepherd is one who protects his sheep. And a shepherd is one who rescues his sheep when they are in danger. And in that, there is then an implication of God's works of providence, but also of salvation. This hint of Christ's saving work may also be seen in the call to all the earth to worship the Lord, verse 1. Of course, all men everywhere should worship the Lord and him alone. But the fall renders sinners incapable of doing so unaided. And they are accountable for this failure. But in the new covenant, with Christ's saving work accomplished, the gospel then goes out to the whole earth. And the outpoured Holy Spirit now now enables sinners from every nation to ascribe worth to the Lord acceptably through Christ. Such truths 
as we consider the great and mighty deeds of God, the whole range of them, ought to fill us with a strong desire to worship the God who has accomplished such things. And once again, it is true of our society, it is common among unbelievers to praise others for their accomplishments. Ancient myths and histories, praising the heroes of old for their great prowess as warriors in battle. War stories and movies in more recent times likewise. Newspapers extolling heroic acts of people during crises. And even sometimes significant acts of charity make the news. Obviously those who do not believe in God will not want to praise him for his deeds. But how sad it is if we are more moved by the deeds of men as we see these depicted in movies or on TV or in the newspapers. And maybe you've seen some of those movies, a war movie or some, something else involving great tragedy and you're moved by that as you see heroic actions or these tragedies unfold. But how sad it is if as God's people we are more moved by the deeds of men than we are with the works of God. And if we find ourselves in that category, it is perhaps another indication that we are beginning to take things for granted. Well, we have seen some of the reasons why we should worship the Lord, but in the second and final place, we consider what that worship actually entails, aspects of worship. And in this connection, I'd like to start with verse 4. In that verse, there are three related aspects of worship that are put in parallel. And they are translated in the ESV as thanksgiving or thanks, which is mentioned twice, same word in different forms, praise and blessing God's name. The two words, as I say, for thanksgiving are related. Both have the idea of acknowledging and confessing God's character and works and then thanking him for those things. The word bless means to honour the Lord for who he is and what he has done. And the word praise indicates a deep and sincere, and note this word, thankfulness for the God who has such great qualities. Now, a couple of things to note from this. First, giving praise to God and thanking him are so closely related that we must say that they are inseparable. The word translated here as praise also means to give God thanks. See, the ideas are almost interchangeable in the word meanings. To such an extent that if we wanted, we could paraphrase verse 4 as saying, thank the Lord, thank the Lord, thank the Lord, and honour him. This should not surprise us. We confess God's attributes and works. We ascribe worth to him because of those things. And then we thank him for what? For precisely the same things. We thank him for enabling us to know him. And we thank him for the way in which his attributes and his works bless us. Despite the fact 
that we deserve in ourselves not a single blessing. It's only for Christ's sake. We thank God for all of these ways in which he teaches us his attributes and his works. And indeed, if we were not thankful for these things, then it would suggest that our praise is insincere. If we are saying how great God is, but personally I don't care about it, doesn't do anything for me and I'm not thankful, that simply does not add up. Our praise, if we were like that, would be rejected. Second, second thing that comes out of this, note how important this makes the matter of thanksgiving in our worship. It's not to be seen as some poor cousin of praise. As if praise is the main reason we are here, though we do of course say thank you on occasion for some things at least. We say thank you, especially when we are considering particular blessings that have come to us, such as recovery from an illness. But all the things for which we praise God, declaring how great he is, how great and good the things he has done, all of those, every single one of them, are also matters for thanksgiving, in which we express our deep and our sincere satisfaction and gratitude in these truths. And so we could say, thanksgiving is an essential aspect of the praise of God. I am suggesting really that we probably find it easier to thank the Lord for the things that most obviously involve gifts for us. We thank him for the blessings of the last year, for the rain and for the sunshine, for food on the table, for a job, for money in the bank, for a roof over our heads, for health and recovery, for children, for peace and freedom to worship each week in this land. Things that we might call common gifts of providence, which even unbelievers participate in, however unknowingly. We also thank God, and we do it regularly in church as well, for the special spiritual gifts we receive for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, that great gift of God to us, leading to the forgiveness of our sins, to our salvation. We thank him for the gifts of the spirit, the new birth, the gift of faith, gifts for building up the body of Christ. But what I'm saying is that we can and we should thank God as well as praising him and confessing him for all of his attributes and works, every single one of them. The other group of worship words is found in verses 1 and 2. When we have this deep satisfaction in who God is and what he has done, it can't be bottled up. We have already come across the word that implies confessing God's name, declaring who he is and what he has done to encourage ourselves, but also to encourage others, to encourage each other, to keep on praising and thanking God. That is part of what we do when we confess God in church each week. It is towards God, but it is also to encourage each other side by side that we join together as an assembly in praising and thanking this same God. But in verses 1 and 2, there is this 
emphasis on not only an audible expression of that, but also a joyful expression of that, and particularly through singing. Make a joyful noise. Come before him with joyful singing. If we did not rejoice in these truths that we've been talking about, God's character and works, it would be doubtful if we were truly thanks, thankful to him. It's like saying, thank you so much for all you've done and all you are, but it doesn't do anything for me. It doesn't move me in the slightest. But I will say thank you because I know I have to. And that would then raise doubts again about the sincerity of our praise. Once again, we see that all of these aspects of worship are intertwined. On this score, the joyful noise on that score, I've occasionally heard criticism of the style of worship in Reformed churches. And uh, perhaps you also have heard those criticisms here as we do in New Zealand. And I try to warn people against judging such things too quickly. Often these judgments come because people are exposed to popular evangelical or charismatic styles of worship. And uh, just to relate a small um, example of this, uh, we had some years ago some visitors in our congregation. Uh, they had come from, but were also in a way moving away from a charismatic background. And they commented to us, they said, many charismatic churches look like everyone's happy on Sunday, but they are not. They are deeply unhappy because their sins and their problems are generally speaking not being addressed and not being dealt with. And so during the rest of the week, they're unhappy. But then they come along to church on Sunday and they have to act like they're enormously happy, that they're full of joy. And then the interesting comment was made in reference to our congregation. The couple said, you people like, look like it's almost the opposite. They said, you look like you're unhappy. You're so serious. You look like you're unhappy. But they said, we detect in you an underlying deep-rooted joy that the face doesn't show as much as it might in some churches, but it's there. And I thought that was a very interesting an instructive comment and it's a, it's a comment that can be made because joy and happiness are not the same thing you can be filled with joy while you are grieving and while you are showing that grief outwardly and uh, some have even described joy is a notoriously difficult thing to actually define without using other words that mean the same thing and still have the same problem of defining it Notoriously difficult to define, but one of the interesting definitions I saw is that joy is, in the Christian, it is a continuous, defiant, nevertheless, our God is the living and the true God, and he does what is right. And I thought that was an interesting definition. This is something, responding in this way with joy, at the time when we are also focused on the, on the Lord and the seriousness of worshipping him. This is a matter of the heart. And the heart is something that God sees, but in which our sight is much more limited. And that's why I say we shouldn't be too quick to judge such things based on musical style, which in any case, and often not understood, how much the music of the Reformed churches 
is a deeply historical thing rooted in a reformed and biblical theology of music. They shouldn't be judged outwardly on that musical style without understanding that, nor should it be judged on smiley faces in uh, the congregation on Sunday. It's a much deeper thing than that. Singing with joy is in fact a very serious and sober matter. It has to be because it derives from a biblical view of who God is and what he has done and that is a serious matter. Hebrews 12 verse 28 calls on us in that line to worship with gratitude, that emphasis on thankfulness again, but also with reverence and awe, remembering that our God is a consuming fire. Reverence and awe actually go side by side with joy and gratitude. You can't have the joy and gratitude without that package, not properly. And our fathers knew this. And so it has been said, and I quote, the greater the fear, talking about the fear of God, the greater the fear, the greater the joy. Think about that. It's a very important point for understanding reformed biblical worship. The greater the fear, the greater the joy. The seriousness with which we come to worship, though at the same time with joy and thankfulness, also derives from the biblical view of who we are as worshippers. Just creatures, albeit creatures made by God in his image. Sinners, but also sinners rescued by the Lord Jesus Christ but rescued or saved sinners who are still battling with much remaining sin. Recipients of so many great and good gifts who come to express our thanks to our giver. But as we do that, are people who come here not to look to ourselves. We come here, in a sense, to forget ourselves and to express our, pra our praise and the gratitude and joy we have because of the Lord and what he has done. God-centred worship rather than focusing on ourselves. And so we do that in a way that engages the whole person. And music helps us to do that, to engage the whole person, mind and emotions, body and soul. But that's not the same thing as using the music to focus on ourselves. What kind of music I like, how it entertains me, how it puts me on a high, how it makes me focus on myself. We're not here to do that. Congregation, these are truths that do not change. The God whom we worship does not change. And although in some ways we change as we grow older, and in some ways, our nations and our cultures change. Yet the basic truths about human nature also remain unchanged. Our creatureliness, our sin, our salvation, our obligation to worship God and Christ-centred. This means that although there will be some variation over time in the songs, for example, that are sung, style of worship in some ways, 
yet there also ought to be continuity with the past. And modern worship tends to forget that and goes instead for that which entertains those who are perhaps far more than they realise conditioned by the world's latest trends, including musical trends. And that, I would suggest, is becoming a danger increasingly also in Reformed churches around the world. Let us take care that our worship is indeed focused on Christ, on praise and thanksgiving, rather than catering to the latest secular musical tastes, irrespective of whether they help us keep that God-centred, Christ-centred focus, or whether, in fact, they are leading us to become more and more man-centred. Whether they are merely contemporary or whether the music of the church is showing solidarity with the church of the past, a church that is universal not only in geography but also in history. It is perhaps because the Psalms call us to worship in a way that reflects these unchanging truths that the Lord commands us to sing them. And I'm not addressing here the subject of exclusive psalmody or otherwise, simply stressing the biblical importance of the Psalms. The Lord commands us to sing them. He commands it, for example, in Psalm 47 verse 7 and Psalm 95 verse 2. He commands the singing of psalms, hymns and spiritual songs in Ephesians 5.19 and Colossians 3.16. And in this respect, the psalms are timeless, both in what they teach about the worship of God and about the worshippers. Singing them is one way of maintaining continuity with the church of former times. The final aspect of worship that I want to consider is service. Verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. It is no accident that we call what we are engaged in a worship service. And that is a truth that I suspect is easily forgotten. Perhaps we have come to use the term worship service simply as a kind of label for the event as a whole. But it actually means that we come to this place each Lord's Day as servants. We come here to wait upon our master as servants do. We come here to hear our master's instructions for us. And we come here to honour our master by our praise, our confession, our thanks and our expressions of joy in who he is and what he has done. Congregation, this service has been set down as a thanksgiving service. We've looked at the reasons for worship, and in doing so, we have also seen the reasons for thankfulness. We've also looked at some of the aspects of worship, and there we have seen how central thanksgiving is and how inseparable it is from confession and praise, and also from our expressions of joy and now, as we have just seen, from our service. These things are no mere formality. Such worship of God requires the whole person. But we cannot do that. Praise God, thank Him, confess Him, rejoice in Him, 
or serve him without his enabling grace. Let us pray that he will so work in us so that our praise and our confession and our thanksgiving and our joy will fill all of our worship. Amen. In response to this, we'll stand to sing this same psalm, Psalm 100. disappointments of life and the griefs 
and such things. And we recognise that our priorities are not always what they should be. But Father, will you refocus us again and again on the right priorities, on your glory, your person and your works, your son, the reasons you sent him and what we have in him. Father, open our mouths but also our hearts to praise, to acknowledge, to confess you and to thank and to sing with joy and gladness whatever our circumstances. And so, Father, on this service of thanksgiving, we do give thanks with joy as part of our praise and our confession of you, part of our worship. We do thank you for the privilege and the blessing of being called into your presence each week and for being granted acceptance, acceptable worship for Christ's sake, as well as being given the promise and the certain hope that one day we will come into your presence in the new heavens and the new earth and see your glory shining forth. We thank you, Father, for your mercy that is demonstrated in the Lord Jesus Christ, leading to our forgiveness and our salvation. We thank you for the freedom that we have to do these things, to assemble in response to your call to worship. And we thank you also for the church's ministry of word and sacrament. We thank you for the communion of the saints and the encouragement that that is. We thank you for the faithful labour of elders and deacons in your strength, and especially in this time of vacancy. Father, we also thank you for Christian schools in which church, Christian family and school are one in doctrine and life. We thank you too for the blessings that you give us as our loving Heavenly Father, though they involve gifts that unbelievers also receive, even though they do not acknowledge it. For the rain and the sunshine in due season, for the gift of children, of income, of work, and of times also to relax and to enjoy your good gifts. Father, we thank you for daily bread, for shelter and clothing. And we thank you for whatever measure of health you give us and pray that you would cause us to take whatever that measure is. And so we pray also for those among us who are suffering from illness, either long or short term, that you would enable us, whatever our state, to give the most praise and thanks that we are able to give to you. Father, we also um, thank you that um, our church has uh, Bible studies and uh, we pray that you would help us to see this as an opportunity to share your word mutually and to encourage one another and an opportunity to grow and mature in your word. And we pray that you would not let us put other things ahead of such opportunities that the opportunities we have either to relax or to make more money, that these would not be put on a higher priority than the opportunities that we have through the ministry of the church to grow and mature in you, and also the opportunities to edify the body of Christ. Father, let us not put that in second place. Help us not to put selfish pursuits and concerns ahead of the body of Christ or the importance of spiritual growth, strengthening and encouragement. Father, we thank you and we are encouraged also that the uh, churches here, the, the Free Reformed Churches, are able to uh, plant and grow new congregations 
and uh, we thank you for the work also that is taking place currently in Cairns and uh, we pray that you would bless that work, that you would grant spiritual growth for the members but also if you will Father, sufficient growth for it to be uh, stable and in due time if it is your will to be instituted but may your will be done. We also thank you for the the opportunities that the church here has to reach out with the gospel and to confess your name and to proclaim the truth about the Lord Jesus Christ to those who do not know you as well as to encourage those who do. And so we pray for the ministry in Seaforth Gardens that that too would bear much good fruit. Father, we uh, pray uh, particularly this morning for Sister Nell Onderwater. Uh, as she returns to Canada after the uh, time that she has spent here and we pray, pray that uh, you would not only grant travelling bless blessings and mercies but also the blessing of being able to enjoy time with family and the blessing that that is. Father, for all of these things, the blessings that we share collectively and the ones that are particular to each one of us, for all of this and for all of that you are and all you have done, for these things, we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. The uh, collection today is for the work in Cairns. And after the uh, collection has been taken, our final song will be Psalm 117. Psalm 117.
so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Amen.